and healing is forever. You're going to heal every day of your life. You're healing. It's not like you finished healing and, and, and you're good. You're constant. You're constantly working on yourself. And once you find that, find joy, when you experience joy, it's on a level that you've never experienced before. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Are you looking for online therapy? Are you stuck at home like everyone else? High stress, high anxiety, worried about the future, trying to navigate everything, have a lot of worries, had a lot of emotional roller coaster rides up and down, just like me. BetterHelp.com is one phone call away, one Zoom call away, one text away. It's an online platform for therapy. It's so perfect for now, for coronavirus, for what people people are going through now. We can reach out and get the perfect therapist that meets our needs. Don't wait. Check them out. See if you can find somebody. Don't struggle. They're so affordable. They are so affordable. You're sitting at home. Every therapist is working online now. Reach out and get help you need. If you are struggling, don't struggle in silence. I am so grateful that they are giving us 10% off the first month so you can get affordable access to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Start your wellness, get help, get support you need. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast. This is episode number 100. Episode 100. Saying that makes my heart flutter. So many emotions of excitement, of fear, of gratitude, so much gratitude. I'm here with my one and only Heather Parody, and she is podcast coach. She's my inspirational friend. She's my editor. She's my thought. She's my, she's my energy when I'm depleted. She's just my creative mind that works together with me. And she's my biggest cheerleader when it comes to this podcast. And I am so grateful to God that he put Heather in my, in my space when I, exactly when I needed her. I've been actually following Heather for a few years on social media. And there were a few things that I noticed about her, her orange hair, her like red orange hair, <laughs> her Southern accent and her huge smile and her energy above everything that was just so joyous. And I just wanted to watch. I, sometimes I didn't even hear what was coming out of her mouth and I was just watching her. And I remember years ago, this is years ago when you started with Heather, when you started podcasting, I remember you used to like stand on rooftops or just walking and you would just be talking. And I'm like, this girl is so fun. I just want to watch her. And one day when I'm going to be a podcaster, I'm going to reach out to her. And I remember vividly what you were doing in the video. And I said, one day when I'm going to be a podcaster, I'm going to reach out to her and, and get some inspiration from her. Little did I know that when I would reach out to her, she would say, sure, no problem. I'll help you on this journey. And, if, and it just shows that God puts 
everyone in front of you exactly when you need it. And if we just record it and remember it and visualize it and say statements when it happens, make mental notes. I made a mental note. I made a mental note in my head that I started podcasting. Heather is going to be part of it. And, and you are such a big part of it. And thank you, Heather. Thank you for just giving me permission to voice my voice for telling me that I could do it when I felt that I could not, for telling me, yes, we could do it on Mental Health Awareness Month when we started less than 20 days before we even launched. And I knew nothing about it besides the fact that I had an Amazon box with my microphone that I bought more than a year before and that I was afraid to open. I literally did not open the Amazon box. And Heather said, we'll do one step at a time. Everybody can do this. You can do this. And she gave me the confidence and she made me feel like like the biggest success when I was just doing the, the small steps of every beginner that starts any um, project or dream that they want to do. But you always have to have um, a Heather. It's funny. I just read a book the other day. Um, it's called Pretty Good Advice. And she says, you always have to have a Jennifer in your life. I said, what if it's a Heather? <laughs> what if it's a Heather? Can we replace a Jennifer with a Heather? And I really feel that way, that everybody needs to have a Heather. Somebody that stays with you on the same level as you are, even though they're light years ahead of you, but they make you feel that you're okay, you're secure, you got this, and it's okay to be messy. And it's not, it's not about perfection. I remember one of the wisest words Heather told me, life is messy and it's okay to be messy. And we don't have to be perfect on podcasts. Like we are who we are and people want to hear that we're messy and we don't have it all perfect. And that gave me such courage and enthusiasm to continue to, to start this journey with podcasting and to, to jump into it when I had no idea what I was doing. Literally no idea. I just had a dream that I wanted to share my story and break the stigma, bring more awareness and support and give back. My biggest goal was to give back to what everybody gave me. And Heather, thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for holding space for me when you have so much going on. You have so much going on and you make every project seem like it's the most important project. It's not like, oh, I'm just like one podcast out of a, like a community. You have, I think, how, how many people do you have in your community now? 1,200, 1,500? Oh, we're about to hit 15, yeah. 1,500 people in her unconventional leader community. And each, I can say this for sure, each and every one feels special. And that's, that's the power of a good leader. That is a power of a good leader. And I'm so blessed to have you, Heather. I told Heather a few months ago that my biggest fear, my biggest fear is that one day she's going to say, I'm too busy for you. I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. And then I'll say, okay, goodbye, hope to recharge. We're done. Nice oh, no. to be here. It was so no, no, nice no. to be here with you. I cannot do this alone. Heather is behind everything. So, Sela V, enjoy the past recordings. Hope you pay it forward. Hope you could deal and goodbye. <laughs> That's one of my biggest fears. But even if Heather, and I hope Heather one day says to me, I can no longer help you, but that will be okay. She will guide me. A good leader lets you be uncomfortable, fly, spread your wings, like feel that uncertainty in order that you can reach the next step. When we're in our comfort zone for too long, that's not good. 
She is a great leader, and I am so honored that she is willing to give me this hour now to um, interview me on this journey of life, the journey of Hope to Recharge, mental health, what hope means to me, what I hope for mental health in general. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. May is the big month. That's why we started in May last year. And it's amazing that everything fell into place at the same time. The 100th episode, Mental Health Awareness, and a year to our starting our podcast. So when I I say our because I do believe that it's our, it's Heather, mine, and the community, each and every one of you that's listening, that's sharing, that's sending us thank you cards and, and insights and ideas. So many of our listeners sent us ideas. Maybe you should interview this one. This is a topic that um, I would love to hear more about. Maybe you can help with this. And things that in my wildest dreams, I would never think about, never. Because my my mind is, is around what my struggles were. Hearing other people's struggles just opens more awareness to what else is going on. And I learned so much from interviewing so much. The last year was like college education for me for mental health. And I'm still learning. And, and the more I learn, the more I realize how much I know so little about mental health. But it's just inspiring to see how many people are out there are willing to break the stigma, share their story, and rising above their pain in order to live a better life. So Heather, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll never be able to say thank you enough, but I'll say thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. And you know how I feel about you. I just adore you. I love your energy. I'm so proud of you for leaning in and taking super scary action all the time. And I know this because I talk to you all the time and have been with you through this entire process that the reason you do that is because it's a deep love for people and wanting to serve your community. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. And today's going to be really great because the perk of this is I've listened to every episode that you have put out and I feel like I know you fairly well. And there's several things that I don't know about you, which I know your listeners will want to know as well. So we're just going to dive in deep today, um, ask some hard questions, get to know you a little bit more. And I wanted to start off with this idea of perception. I think perception is a really interesting topic. The way that you perceive yourself versus the way someone else perceives you is normally night and day and that's across the board. And you know, when you're explaining, you know, this, this, this fear you had of starting your podcast and then seeing how you have just completely changed and really stepped up this past year and, and created what you've created. I was wondering how your perception of yourself has changed or adjusted the process of producing this show? Wow, what a good question. It's funny, the other day I made um, uh, a post on perspective, but this is a little bit more deep into ourselves. It's funny because I have both. I can have both. One of them, one is that I feel like a nobody after I interview all these people. First of all, professionals that are so incredibly knowledgeable and like they have they have so much to give to the world you're like oh my god i'm 43 years old and what did i give to the world and then i go back and i and this is thanks to my coach john israel and he reminds me that we have to remember what our core values are and one of the biggest things 
through this podcast and I kept on checking on my core values. My core values change often. It's usually every few years with stages in life. Are my core values aligned with my mission? And when I real when I tap into my core values, suddenly I realize that there are no two. Or, I, I can't compare myself to every, anyone else, even though I do a lot of comparison and I feel very small sometimes, really very, very, very small. And then I have to remind myself, this is the gift that God gave me. This is the package I got, got from, from God. And am I doing the best I can with the package I got from God? That's the question I need to ask myself. And I really challenge myself very often to make sure that I'm really using my talents versus looking into other people's talents and saying, oh, I wish I was like them. And I do that often. And it's really bad for me. It takes me to a negative place. It takes me to a place that that I don't want to continue. It takes me to a dark place of I'll never be able to achieve what other people achieved in half my age. But then I come back, core values, everybody's different. Everybody has their package. Where did I come from? What did I achieve? What What is my goal in life? Their goal is different than my goal. And when I come back to there, suddenly I realize, oh, you're doing great. Matana, you're doing great. You're really showing up when you were so afraid. You were so afraid to show up. You were so afraid to not to speak out loud because I was, uh, since I'm 18, I'm always speaking louder and louder and louder. But I was afraid to challenge myself to what if I don't succeed? I don't like failures. No one likes failures, but I have a deep fear of failure because for me, failure means that I'm nobody. But once I realized that it's not about the success, the success is for myself and for showing up, that's when I realized that I'm okay no matter what happens. I'm okay. And the bonus on top of it is when I really see that lives are improving and and people are consuming the information. So it gives me, first of all, it, it shows me also, just like a year ago, you knew nothing about a microphone and about a podcast and about what you talk about. I didn't even know what questions do you ask? What do you do? Like, what is it? But when I, when I realized that just like I knew nothing about it a year ago and look how far we came, look how far we came. We're almost at 30,000 downloads. I think we're almost at 30, right? Like, wow. And the amount of, of texts, emails, and cards that I collect from people, handwritten cards or stuff that I collect from people from strangers that tell me how much they they appreciate a story that they related to, it makes me re- remember that it's all about perspective and, and looking inside us and not looking around. It's so difficult to shut down the noise in the background and the rat race and everything. And then you realize, okay, this is your mission. What's your core values? Where are you? Where are you going? And compliment yourself. Tell yourself you're doing great. And then you could take upon yourself another challenge. I hope I answered that properly. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think you talking about the comparison and the fear of failure is something that a lot of people can deeply relate to no matter what their goal is. And I was wondering, where do you think that stemmed from in your own life? So the thing is that my parents did not care if we succeeded with numbers. Like it was never, how much did you get on a test? How much did you get in your bank account? It was never about that. They were always like, as long as you tried, that success does. For them, the failure was not trying. So it's definitely not from them, the fear of failure. I think I come from a very high achievers in my family. A lot of brains, both my parents had come from 
extreme brilliance. And not all of the siblings got, we always say, God distributed the, the brains very differently in our family. And he forgot to give some a majority because like one brother is off the chart brilliant, like brilliant. He has enough brains for six kids. And my oldest sister, she's just like brilliant, uh, capable, um, an incredible leader. She's just everything in perfection. And then there's the next sister that's loved by everyone. She just walks into a room. Everybody loves her. She's funny. She's charming. She's loud. She's, she, she gets things done. She's one of those that like, she's the perfect COO of a company, which she is, and she's a leader and she's fun. And she's just, she was my best friend growing up, still is. And we're two years, we're a little less than two years apart, but our our, our paths were so different in life. I, when I was growing up, I was the shy. She was a, out the loud. She was the one that risks everything and I didn't risk anything. And I think having two incredible older sisters and a brother under me, that's a high achiever. And then a brother that after him, that is sweet as sugar and will give like sincere, loving, kind, just a perfection of a human being. Like growing up with him, everybody just loved him. It was like a, uh, like sunshine walking into the room. Everybody just loved him. And then the younger sister that's brilliant, 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 and a high achiever, just rolls with the punches in life and beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And she's successful. So then I'm like, and who am I? <laughs> who am I? So so for me, and, and the thing is that in our family, we never, we never really looked at success as like a big thing in life. For us, success was being a good human being. But I think coming into the world, and I worked in the business world for many, 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 many years, and in the business world, success is big and it wears off on you. It really wears off on you. So I don't know where the fear, maybe the fear was just being the middle child. Maybe. Yeah. Now you've, I know that you've had so much business success. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about your progression from, you know, leaving home and starting as a young adult and just a little bit of your professional career? Cause I know you've alluded to it a couple of times, but I'm, I myself still don't know all the details of it. Okay. So when I finished high school, I was very determined that I'm not going to continue. Most, most girls in my class in the Orthodox community stayed for another two years in the school. It's like they called it SEM, post high school. And they learn a professional. Usually it's to be a teacher. And I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. It's not my thing. I wanted to do some computer graphics. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I really didn't have a passion. I didn't have a voice then. I was really shy scared little girl. And so I started learning computer graphics. I was doing really well. I started my own private business at home. And in the morning, I used to volunteer in a special ed school. And that's where I met my friend that we went to Hong Kong for a year to be in the Jewish community there. The year in Hong Kong was like my year of breaking out of my shell. I wanted my voice. I wanted my opinion. I came back and I was really um, driven to, to, find, to find more excitement in the world. Like I knew that there was so much more that I don't know. And I'm, I'm ready to conquer this. And I was excited to live life. It was like, I think it was the first time that I really was excited to live life. And then I started in a digital digital printing company and I was really doing well there. I was like, the, I ran the office there, but the pay was awful. It was a fun community to work in, but the pay was awful. And my sister's boss 
my two sisters were working in a company, um, the largest software company in Israel. And they started when it was very new. And by the time um, the boss, which she was a female, Rachel, which I talk about her very often. She's my mentor. And she always said to me, I'm going to get you also to come work by us. I said, Rachel, I know nothing about computers. I am not working for you. There's no way I'm coming to you. And she used to say, when you are ready, come to me. And I remember once going to speak to her. I said, I need your advice because my boss is not paying me on time. And I'm, I'm really disappointed. Um, it could be months that he's not paying me. And I feel like I'm underpaid. She's like, it's time to leave. We're not going to even have a conversation with him. It's time to leave. You own who you are. You own that you're a good worker. You're, you're working. You're devoting above and beyond. And it's time to leave. And she, she said, just come work for me. We'll figure it out. And I was petrified. I said, what am I going to do? She said, just follow me around and we'll figure out what you're good at. And she said, and she said to me, I'll teach you a trait. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what you're good at yet, but I'm going to just follow me around. So the first few weeks I was following her and I was scared and I was crying to my sisters. Thank God I had my sisters there. And I said, I'm not, I'm not, how am I going to survive? Because she had both ends of the sore. She could be the, like a loving mother, but she was super tough. That's why she became a CEO of, I think when she sold it, I think she had 1,400 employees. I think I was employee number 600. Anyway, so I was very scared. And sometimes she yelled at me, but I knew that she loved me and I knew that she wanted to teach me. And I knew that the shy little matana that was still in me, she was trying to break that. And after two weeks, she saw that I wasn't liking, like following her around. And I said to her, okay, I'm done. I'm done with it. And she said, you know what? Yeah, you, you, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do project management and I'm going to assign this and this. You're going to be under this and this person. She's going to teach you for a few weeks and then you're going to just have to show up and figure it out. And I knew nothing, literally nothing. And she gave me a staff and the staff was growing and growing and growing. And, and then the project started evolving. And one of the things that I noticed that my name, because my name is Matana, which is gift in Israel, which is a very unusual name. It's a very unusual name. I think only I found another two Matanas after I was an adult. Yeah. So it opened doors. And I was, and I did have a very soft personality and a little funky. And people loved that I was orthodox, but out of the box. And people just was, were gravitating for, to it. And whenever they needed like, to put some uh, project manager on a, tough, on a tough project, they're like, put Matana on it. She'll figure it out. Even though I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew how to hire the right staff. I knew how to, I knew how to delegate properly. And, and, I, and by the time I left, I, when I, I, I think I worked there for three or four years. And then I got married and I left Israel. And she, she left the company. She sold the company. And it was, was not the same company after she sold it. But at my wedding, we had three VIP tables from banks, from all the government offices, all the CEOs and CFOs were there. And we all felt like friends. I never, I never felt like they were above me. We were like, Friends. We would have coffee together. We have conversation, and they were. They felt that I was the Orthodox Jew that still keeps to her boundaries, but she'll discuss everything with them. And until today, I'm friends with so many of these people. They come visit me in America. We, we meet in Israel whenever I go, and and that's where my my when when I really developed a sense of I could do anything if I don't have fear. And she taught this, this was all thanks to Rachel, all thanks to Rachel. I didn't do anything without asking her, 
or getting her insights on it. Till today, the other day I called her and I said, I need to know how you're doing with quarantine. I'm thinking about you a lot. And uh, and she's and she was the one that told me after staying at home for eight years with my children, maybe even longer, maybe it was longer. She said, okay, Matana, enough. Get out to the world. You've been a mommy long enough. You could do this. You need you need you need outside exterior work. And that's when I started Hope to Recharge because she, I mean Charge to Recharge because she was the one that just said you got to do something else. You can't be a mommy only a mommy. For you, this is not going to work. And and I really appreciate her wisdom and her encouragement. She's like a friend. She says it like it is. Um, she doesn't she doesn't make things pretty when they're not pretty. She shows up properly, and I'm so grateful to her because she made me who I am. I really believe that she was the one that showed me that I I could do things even though I don't know what what it will be. Just like you did with the podcast, she gave me that confidence that. It's okay to not know. I'm going to figure it out and ask questions. And you don't have to be the smartest kid in the class. You just have to show up. I love that. I have three questions based off everything you just said. Uh, number one, you mentioned this trip to Hong Kong and how that broke you out of, of your shell and really changed your life. What was it about that trip that was so influential? So one of them was that I had to learn to communicate. I went with one friend and I knew no one there no one. I grew up in, um, I don't know why, but now I talk about my feelings a lot. When I grew up, I didn't share my feelings at all. And I used to go into passive aggressive mode. Like if I don't like something that someone did, I just ignore them. And that's what I did for the first few months. And I remember my friend Shulamit, I hope she listens to this podcast and I'm still friends with her. She 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 was younger than me, two years younger than me, but wiser beyond beyond. And she taught me so much in life. And she used to say to me, you have to learn to share your emotions. You have to learn to communicate. You just can't, you can't just like, we're in the same room for a year. We're going to be roommates for a year. We have no one here besides each other. Eventually we got to know people, but they weren't living with us. They weren't going day to day with us in life. And she says, you need to learn how to voice your opinion. You don't have to stand up for yourself. You need to learn to be okay with being wrong. And she was big, big, big into teaching me how to be an adult out of your comfort zone. So that was a huge thing. And another thing was that in the beginning was really hard for me and I just wanted to run home. I remember calling my parents and I was depressed one night and and I said, just bring me home. This is awful. What a stupid mistake. Even though they told me not to go, I called them and I'm like, just bring me home. And I didn't go home and I stayed. And it taught me that every beginning is hard. But if I didn't stay there, I wouldn't make the most incredible friends till today, till today. Incredible, incredible friends that each one has a different path in life. Each and every one so different. But till today, I keep up with so many of them. We meet and... And each one taught me that life is like a rainbow, really like a rainbow. You can be any color and it's okay that you are who you are and stick to your guns, even though you're different than other people. That's fine. That's fine. So fine. I found a lot of my voice and also in the Orthodox world, I found a lot of things that I felt like I was taught wrong and led wrong. And it was That's my second question. Yeah. My second question, not to interrupt you, but you, you mentioned a couple of times being an outside 
the, the box, what, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> and like, how has that affected you? So in, so in Hong Kong, I was the, the outsider. I was the, I felt like I was more Orthodox than anybody else there because there are very different um, groups in the Orthodox world. And the group that I went to in Hong Kong was very different than what I grew up with. What I grew up with was very black and white, very, very, very black and white. The group that I stayed by in Hong Kong was very into emotions and love and kindness, finding the good versus finding the negative and you always have to improve. So it was very different. And I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. Orthodoxy is nice, is kind. God is not a policeman. God is not there to check off all the negative things. And that's what we, I grew up in my school. This is what they taught me in my school, not in my home, but in my school. And But my, my home needed to follow what the schools were saying in order to, to conform that we don't get kicked out. And it's very strict, really strict. So when I came home from Hong Kong, I was dressing differently. People were not, my, my family were not used to the fact that I was dressing differently. And I, when I say differently, you would never in a million years know the difference. Um, people in Israel even that are not Orthodox will not know the difference. But people within the community, they know the difference. They know how short is your skirt? Is it covering your knees six centimeters or nine centimeters? And there's literally, you're, you're trained to look to see, is it coming to your knee? Is it showing your knee? All these things are huge, huge things. And these are radars, literally radars that go off when you're raised in this community. What colors do you wear? How long is your hair? How long are your earrings? What are you wearing red? Red is a big no-no in a lot of our communities. Like real, you cannot wear red as a shirt or as a skirt. Growing up, if I, w- if I was caught with red wearing a red shirt or red skirt, I would be thrown out. If I was wearing... What does red symbolize? What does that mean? Very sexy. It's supposed to be an attractive, bright color. And we were taught as women, we have to be very modest, cover up, don't attract attention that doesn't, that's, that's not deserving to you. Don't attract to your body, attract to who you are. It's all about modesty. So, so red is, is like a bright color. So you're attracting attention, which could be wrong. Why are you attracting attention to your body? Who, who's attracting attention? Like, who are you attracting to your body? So that was also, and I, and a lot of it didn't resonate with me. A lot of covering up women, like, did not resonate with me at all. Until today, I don't resonate with a lot of it. And, and we were taught, um, cover yourself up because the, the men can sin. You're, if, you, if you are out there showing yourself not modesty, um, in a not modest way, men can have unpure thoughts and it's going to be your fault. This is what we were taught in school. This is why. So there's a lot of um, uh, shame and it, it was a lot a very, dis- it feels so wrong to me till today. It's, uh, I, I don't understand it. I know that I don't understand it, but I do know that when it feels wrong, I can't connect to it. I'm not going to do something just because I'm told to. And I know that in the Bible, a lot that says like you, sometimes you have to do things even though you don't understand. But when things feel wrong, 
I have a hard time with that. Isn't that interesting though? Cause you said as like a young girl, you were very like detached from emotions and didn't talk about things, but everything that you're saying to me right now is very intuitive and a lot of self-awareness has gone into it. So were you, do you think you were that way as a child as well, where you sensed all this stuff, you just muted it or is this something that you've developed over time? Such a good question. And I think that when I was little, I would suffer in silence, not even know that I'm suffering. I didn't even know. I didn't know that I was allowed to doubt the system. I didn't know that I can ask questions. I didn't know that I can have an opinion. And a lot of times till today, I get mocked. Oh, Rabbi Matana is saying something and I get mocked because I have an opinion. And I'm like, I'm allowed to have an opinion just like the, the, the ancient fathers had an opinion. I'm entitled to an opinion. I'm entitled to a thought. I'm entitled to share I might be wrong, but they might be wrong too. So I think only when I went to Hong Kong, I realized that there's incredible Orthodox Jews out there and Jews that are not Orthodox and people that are not Jewish. And they're all phenomenal. And they're all phenomenal. And it's okay. And it was the first time that I really was able to see it clearly. And I felt comfortable in it. I really felt comfortable. And I think it was hard for my family when I came back. So, and the the changes were so small, was so, so small, but it was hard for my family. They didn't know how far I'm going to go and what's going to happen. And it was new Mm -hmm. to them. And I understand that it was new to them, but it just felt so off to me really off to me. That's perfect. This, this is all lined up perfectly because my third question to you, I mentioned I had three with your backstory. When you're sharing all of this, I keep thinking about like all these identity shifts within you because, you know, as a young girl, you're trying to find your identity in the midst of all of these siblings. And you said you really didn't know what you brought to the table. And then you got a little older and you had this life-changing experience in another culture and then started questioning some stuff with you know, the way that you were raised and shifted that. And then you get thrown into this career where your identity was challenged there that, you know, yes, I can succeed and do all this. And then your identity shift again, moving to a completely, you know, different country away from your family and becoming a mother and a wife and then starting your own company. And then later on, fast forward to here we are now, you, you know, shifting into the identity of a podcaster and a leader and a communicator. There's all these shifts and adjustments, these huge life changes. And I was wondering like, you as a woman, your identity constantly shifting and adjusting, has that been a natural and easy process for you? Or do you feel like you've been even had time to conceptualize all of this and and deal with it in a healthy way. I think about it a lot. I think about, I always say, does does my identity have bipolar? Like, am I like sometimes like this, sometimes like that? Is it part of me that I'm always looking for an adventure? I'm always looking for change. I'm always, but I realized that I, for many years, I felt like I was not allowed to, to even search. And now that I had, and for many years, I searched in silence. And then I got a little bit gutsy and I was able to, to, um change the way I am, my my thoughts, my my even my communication. And it's such a it's a very hard process. It's really even till today I doubt myself so often. Am I doing right or wrong? Is this okay? It's not okay. But it the changes happen. I love change. I love change and I believe in change. And I feel like everybody needs to change because if you're not changing, you're not evolving. You're not evolving. And what I was 20 years ago is not what I am today. The struggles that I had 
in the past 20 years made me where I am today. And sometimes I, I beat myself up and I said, I wish I had the knowledge 20 years ago that I didn't waste. I, sometimes I see it as a waste. I wasted so much time living in a lack of clarity, but then, and, and then shifting and shifting. But then I realized that if I didn't live in lack of clarity, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't continue shifting. I want to continue changing and looking and searching. And I'll, I think that, and some, and people always make fun of me that I travel a lot and that I move a lot. And, and I'm like, and I love it. I really love it because I love adventure. I love seeing what will come out of me now. What yeah. will be reborn out of me now? Not, I try not to look back and say, did I, did I waste my time? But what will happen now. And I believe that for the, and thank God I'm married to Ari that loves the adventure with me and he goes with the punches with me and he's excited to re, be reborn with me. Because with somebody that's very traditional and doesn't like change, it could be frustrating and scary and, and annoying. Sometimes it's yeah. disturbing to a family and, and we love adventure and we love seeing where we are. As long as it's coming from an authentic, true place, I think it served me so well. And and I think that for the first 20 something years of my life, I was just an, on pause, literally on pause, just going through life. And, and I don't think if I was put on pause, I would come this far. I think yep. my passion is so passionate because I feel like I'm, I'm making up for all, all time in the past that I was on pause, but it, it ignited me to be curious, interested, and, and yep. it's just, it, and to evolve. Well, see, and, and that's where, where I get confused because unless I knew you and knew your story and heard about the depression that you experienced, I would have never in a million years guess that you were someone who dealt with depression. Anxiety, I can almost understand because I, I'm- Because you I'm, know me. Well, <laughs> well, my personality is like you, like change and adventure and constantly pushing the envelope. A side product of that sometimes is anxiety. Like I have anxiety. Like I, I run a lot because I'm the same way. I'm hyper, I'm changing. I'm pushing myself all the time. So sometimes, I, so I can see anxiety with you, but the depression piece is so interesting to me because you are so full of life and you, you know, are passionate and, you know, you're, you're really in a good mood almost every single time I see you. <laughs> and so I just, I know you've talked a little bit about it on the show about where may some of that may have come from. And I was just wondering, you know, reliving some of this stuff that we've been talking about, were there signs of depression back then? Uh, have you figured out with some of your healers and your therapists, maybe where, where some of this stuff stem from? So definitely, I don't think that I ever understood depression until I was depressed, but I did go deep dive with my healers into certain feelings. And let's say that moment in Hong Kong that I spoke about before that I called my parents and I said, I couldn't do this anymore. That deep, dark, dark place in my heart that I felt that night. I remember still where I was sitting in there in the house where I was living. And, and I said, I, I will not survive tonight. There was a pool overlooking. We lived in, a, I think there were like a hundred stories to this building. Like it was, the Hong Kong has sky, like crazy. And we were like on, on level number, I don't remember, like 20 maybe. There were a ton of parking levels. And I remember there's a pool right underneath us. Like we were a level over pool. And I said, I can always jump into the pool and kill myself. I don't think I ever, ever said this to any 
anyone, by the way, because I remember that night was so dark. I was sitting looking at the pool and I was saying, okay, I can always kill myself tonight. And and then it was such a deep, dark place. But then the next morning the sun came and I was fine. And then the, the sun went down. So those were the first signs, but I never thought it was depression. I just thought I was homesick. When I went to camp for the first time, I remember telling my sister, nine weeks here, I'm not going to survive. Take me home now. Take me home. And it was always when the sun went down. It was always, always when the sun went down. Yeah. So it wasn't depression, but it was definitely a sign of insecurity and sadness, a deep sadness. Depression lasts for a while and you can't, it doesn't, it's not like something right away changes. Like the sun comes up, you're not depressed anymore. It's a form of depression, but I was in, when I hit my depression, it was like a long lasting depression. I think when I was younger, when I was a little girl, I definitely had signs of sadness when I, I felt understood, shy. I was always embarrassed by my name when I was a little girl. Is it the alone piece? Because the, the things you're mentioning, it seems like it's yes, on your own. Yes, phone. exactly. Loneliness, a deep loneliness, not fitting in with the crowd. I was always embarrassed that I was American. No one should know that I'm American. I want to fit in with all the Israelis, with the ultra Orthodox. I want to, my parents were very poor when I was young. I didn't want to be seen as the poor girl that didn't have shoes that fit her. I wanted to fit in. There was such a loneliness and I didn't know how to voice that opinion to my parents, to myself, to anybody. So I just carried the sadness of not fitting in, just not fitting in. But only afterwards in life, when I got really depressed, I think that when we started analyzing it, I felt that I always let people just take advantage of me because I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everybody else. I didn't want to be different. When I was silenced for so many years, it was the straw afterwards in life. It was what broke the camel's back. That all of that taking advantage of me and I'm not worthy only if I X, Y, Z, it all came tumbling down. And things when I was four came up in healing sessions. I When things like my, so much pain and that I bottled up that had to come crashing down afterwards because I never even knew that I suppressed them. So fitting, and it's funny because as I'm thinking about it, what I want to do now is not fit in. I want to be like, everybody's like, oh, you're always so different. You have to be different. Like if there's a style, I'll break the style. If there's a color of the month, I'll do the different color of the month. I don't want to fit in. I want to be me different because I want to express myself. I don't want to be like everybody because everybody does it. I want to be me because I'm the authentic me, whatever drives me. That's what I want to be. I think there's a good learning experience here um, with you're having these deep emotions as a, as a young girl and even in Hong Kong and you talked about bottling things up. Do you think looking back now that if you would have had a way to express and release some of that, that that wouldn't have manifested years later in this deep depression? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like not even a doubt, not even a doubt. I always had to put up the persona that I'm okay. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. When I was younger, when I was younger and I always, I felt like, I, I, I don't know, this week I was thinking about it and I don't remember why I was thinking about it. Maybe it was a podcast that I was listening to about non-belonging. And all I can remember is when I grew up going into high school, like the end of elementary school and going into high school, I always wanted to be with the ultra-Orthodox girls. And the girls in my community had a name of the American girls that were more modern. So for, for, for some reason, the American girls got the label that they're more modern because they came from America, they had more modern clothes, 
clothes. They had more modern backgrounds. Their parents were working. And, and a lot of my friends, their parents were sitting and learning the Bible the whole day. There was no making money business, business-wise. And I wanted to stick with a very, very ultra-Orthodox. And no one should doubt that I'm with the group of the American girls from Harnof, where I grew up. And I made it a very, very clear, like, I don't talk to them. Like, I got on a bus. I was so shy. Like, I wanted to bury myself if they spoke to me. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. But inside, 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 I just wanted to be with them. I just wanted to be acknowledged by them. I just wanted to be a part of them. I just wanted them to see me as not the nerd, the from the, the ultra, ultra orthodox nerd. I wanted them to see me as a fun, because inside I was so much fun, but I was bottling it up. So yeah. definitely, definitely there's so much hurt and pain, but I didn't know otherwise. And I, I thought it was protecting me at the time. I thought it was protecting me to be, and I am friends with uh, a lot of the girls till today. And we all evolved. It's funny because all these girls evolved into their own colorful selves. And we were all put into this box that we, we wanted to pretend that we are in, but then we, we left that box. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I was wondering, I think many of us can relate to these moments, these really critical moments in our past that man, I wish I could have let that out and dealt with that and now wouldn't be suffering now years and years later as an adult and returning back to those, those points and releasing them and finding healing. Like, what does that look like? How do you go back to that four-year-old self? How do you go back to that young girl in Hong Kong or that teenage girl with the other girl? I mean, when you go back to those, how do you begin to that healing process and release some of that, that pain in those moments? Years and years and years and years of different therapies and healers, like years. And I, till today, I have, I have things that I'm not willing to go back there because I said, you know what? I'm in a good place now. I don't want to go revisit. I just saw something very, very insightful. If you're not willing to deal with it, put it away. And I really resonated with that to just hold the pain in order to hold the pain. If you're not going to deal with it, if you don't have the tools to deal with it and you're not prepared and you know that there's too much going on and to deal with that pain is going to bring you down. So just put it away. But just to, to mm. sit in the pain for no reason without right. dealing with it, it's not serving you. So many times I'll just say, I don't have the mental space now or the emotional space now to deal with that pain. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. ignore it. It's there. I'm putting it away for now. And when I'm stronger or when I have more emotional and physical strength, I'm a mother of five, always running, doing so much going on. I have to be healthy for them. Now, if it would be a big trauma, like if God forbid somebody molested me, God forbid, God forbid, no one ever, thank God I didn't have any sexual abuse and I'm so grateful. Um, but if that, I don't think I would be able to continue without dealing with that. And I would have to devote time for that. Um, and it would be something that would be holding me up in life. And I'm, I'm intuitive enough to know what's holding me back and what's not and what I could say, okay, it's for later, not for now. And I, I love figuring things out. Like therapy is my favorite activity in one of my favorite activities in life, I always say if I win the lottery, I'll have a different therapist for every day of the week, a different therapist. One will be uh, mental health, one will be children, one will be my personal growth, and one will be a marriage therapist, and one will be history. Like it would be like it, literally I would have a therapist for everything because I love therapy. I love understanding what, what went on with me. I love understanding why I act certain ways and, and evolving. But therapy is my comfort zone. It really is like, like my, my my, my favorite, favorite activity. Unfortunately, it's so expensive. I can't do it. And it's, it's very time consuming. So I can't do it every day of 
the week, but understanding what I went through, it gives me so much courage to go forward and and to change and to and to want to live the best matana I could live now. Yeah. I love I love that we're talking so much too about belonging. I can deeply, deeply relate to that. And I think it's easy to talk about that as a child, but then as an adult, there's mm-hmm. still sometimes that sense of need to belong. I was wondering, like as a accomplished woman who's gone through so much healing and so much of the journey and grown up so much, like do you right. still uh, still struggle with the sense of belonging? How does how do you, how are you now compensating for that and feeling that need right now? So as a woman that's we grew up in a family that women lead. For me, it was never a question of of like when I came to America and people were talking about women are in like feel inferior. It was so strange to me because I came. I'm like really. I'm like I didn't see it anywhere around me. Anywhere, literally anywhere. Besides like the ultra orthodox world that I didn't connect with that I felt like that, but they wanted it. The women wanted to be like inferior to the husband. We have to ask my husband. I have to ask my husband. Uh, we have to ask the rabbi. It was never asked the female rabbi, always asked the male rabbi. So that bothered me in a sense, but as a leader in the business world, I always like we were leader. And even in the Talmudic world, my father's side is very, 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 very pro women leading. Even my grand great grandmother would teach the Gemara, like the, uh, ancient teachings of the Talmud. It was like a big thing. I grew up as a, the, fem, the females lead. It was not strange to me. My mentor is a female. But in the Orthodox world, I still don't feel a belonging. There's a, still a ton of questions I have and a ton of, okay, I was kind of born into this. It's a system I'm living in. It feels safe to me in a certain way. I'm too scared to question too far. I don't know what the implications will be. And I have children in the system. I don't want them to get rebuked because I'm searching. So it's really hard. It's really hard because I don't feel a belonging with the community. I shouldn't say all of them, but certain communities that I live in, I don't feel a belonging. And I don't feel like anybody wants to hear my questions. They're not interested. Where do you feel like you belong right now? Where do you feel the most sense of belonging? Uh, I love hanging out in places. I don't know where it is. But I I love hanging out in places where no one sums you up by your exterior. In the Orthodox world, that's the first thing that sums you up. First thing, they look at you. Are you covering, if you're a female married, are you covering your hair? I I don't want to come out harsh, but the Orthodox world that I live in, there's a lot of modern Orthodox worlds that are not like that. But the Orthodox world, they sum you up and not everyone, like Elisheva is not like that. The reason why I'm in love with Elisheva is, herself and her mind and everything because she's so authentic to who she is and she's a, she she encourages people to question and to ask and to and to be okay with uncertainty um, and be okay with asking but I love hanging out with a in a place that I can voice and I could be without being judged and that's not where I live at all it's yeah. not I think it's interesting that your tagline for the show is together is better Wow what we've, talking, what we've been talking about this entire time has been this this need for you to feel belonging and sometimes feeling isolated and alone and how, you know, your, your lack of being able to express how you feel has kind of caused so much of the, the mental health struggles that you've dealt with. And as a result, your solution is providing space now for people to connect and mm. not feel alone. And I just think it's such a beautiful big picture circle that you've been able to create now. If you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about- Oh my God, I have chills. 
I have chills. I have chills. You know, it's so funny. Um, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and I asked them something so simple that I was sure she would would know. And she's like, oh my God, I never thought about it. I'm like, you never thought about it? You really never thought, like in my mind. And I'm like, oh my God, how could I have not seen this? Like, yes, I want belonging. I want to feel like everybody else, but I also want to feel that my belonging is not based on being like everybody else. I, my, my belonging is the fact that I can show up the way I am and I belong even though I'm different than anybody else, even though. So even though someone has a manic episode and they might go wacko and do things that are scaring people, but the next day they they could show up in in a loving, kind space and give them the support of the belonging, even though it was scary the day before, even though we didn't recognize them the day before, even though the day before we we're like, is this the person we knew? But in a way, we're in a way. I feel like we all have moments in life that we don't recognize ourselves let alone the world recognizes ourselves. And we have to give the benefit of the doubt that everybody's trying the best they can. No one's evil. No one's vicious. No one's out to get anybody on purpose. And just be okay that people are different. And it doesn't, like now living in this political world, especially during Corona, so everything is about everybody else, like pointing fingers, pointing fingers. Can we just be in unity of like saving lives? Can we just, just, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about politics, not in Israel, not in America. I stopped watching TV 10 years ago and I know nothing. I used to be a TV addict for news and now I'm, I know nothing and I disconnect from news for my mental health. Like it was an obsession for me and now I, I really, the other day. I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to share this. I'm so mortified. I am mortified, but I'm going to share this because I want people to know how much I don't know. My husband's the extreme opposite. He knows everything about politics and what's going on in the world and, and whatever. And, and we were at the table on Passover. Our dear friend, Brian, and is very politically uh, up to date on everything. And he says, you know, you need to just inform yourself about what's going on in the world, who are the leaders. I said, why is it going to help me? No, I, I, I don't find any, I'm not changing anything. It's not like I'm writing a new um, uh, program. I'm, I'm not at that place. I'm changing my life, my children, and the little community that I'm trying to. Like I'm not, I, I don't, it doesn't give me the benefit of knowing. So he says, look, look how, how, how ignorant you are. Do you know who the vice president is? And I'm like, no, Heather, I said, I did not. He gave me four names. I could not pick one out. I, and I'm mortified. And really, he's like, look how illiterate you are. You're like, how can you not know? I said, it's my choice to disconnect. It's my right. absolute choice to disconnect. Now he feels like you're like, how can you belong? You, he's like, you come to our country, even though I'm American, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. I am 100% American with my passport that I got and my birth certificate that I was born in America. So he's like, you come to our country and you don't even know the first things about the country. I said, I, I'm sorry, but it doesn't interest me. It doesn't help me. And with the hate that's going on, I definitely don't want it because there's, it creates anxiety in my stomach yeah. because I can't control yeah. it. it. It just creates anxiety for me. So I just feel like, can we just love each other as humans, like just care about each other. Be okay that you have a difference of opinion about religion, about nationality, about policy. Be okay with it and see the good. There's so much good in people. There's like, I, I'm seeing on social media, a lot of rebuke against people that are doing wrong during Corona. 
And, and I'm like, listen, you don't know the whole picture that, that was behind whatever went right or wrong. I don't know. But like, there's so much rebuke. Are we hyper talking about what is going right during Corona? Are we blasting that all over? Or is it just one post here, there, and it's light? So in a way that together is better, it was also a voice to me because for my whole life, I felt very untogether and very together in a fake way. I was there unfitting. And I feel like I want to create a space that people that are struggling with mental health can come share. But the togetherness is that we're going to evolve together, not just be victims together. We're going to be powerful human beings that are weak in our in our insides, but powerful on the outside that we feel weak that we can't continue, but we will continue and we will support each other no matter what happened, no matter That's what it. your history is. And I wanted, it's funny that you say that, but yeah, I guess I wanted a sense of unity for myself. And I did have it when I was healing. I did have that incredible support. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that but I didn't always have it in life. So I guess that's part of me maybe uh, making up for what I didn't have as a little girl. Maybe. Interesting. You said, interesting. <laughs> you said something interesting. You said that we were not evolved together, which I think is a perfect segue into this next uh, season of the podcast. You know, done a hundred episodes. Congratulations to you. It's so amazing. You've created what you've created, you know, you should have an interview with a, with a therapist or someone who struggled with mental illness and authority. And then you have your attitude of gratitude on Thursdays, your Facebook group and mastermind calls. I mean, what a year you've had. And I was wondering what is the next step for hope to recharge? What are we evolving together into? So thanks to you, Heather, you didn't let me stay where I am now. And you said, okay, we have to just take it to the next level. And, um, and I think that what we came to and we're going to try to do is have a subject of the month that people can look forward to the subject of that month and see if they can relate to it, something to look forward to. So for the month of May, it's going to be about breaking the stigma, bringing more awareness because May is mental health awareness month. So we're going to bring stories about people that had the courage to break the stigma and what happened to them when they were living in silence. We're going to have one month that we'll be talking about suicide prevention. What is it like to, another month support? What is it like to finding support? What is, what is hope? We're going to have different themes. Um, the mastermind will continue. I'm going to continue the one-on-one -on -one coaching and advising to people that need a little bit more of encouragement to find help. I think each one needs to find their cocktail of help and the cocktail of help is on an individual level. And sometimes people are so confused about all the things that's flying out there, the healers, the psychiatrists, the therapists, what therapist, even what, what practice of exercise should I do that will help me? Everyone has to do an, a, a real like checklist um, questionnaire on what fits who I am, my family, my finances, where I am going, what's, what it, where I want to end up. If I want to stay in a victim mode, stay in your victim mode, don't even try. But some people want to get out of the victim mode and say, I want to live a full life. I want to live uh, a life of excitement and, and, and just go to the next level. And it's really the next level because once you figure it out, once you figure out what is what what you need to heal and healing is forever you're going to heal every day of your life you're healing it's not like you finished healing and 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 you're good 
you're constant. You're constantly working on yourself. And once you find that, find joy, when you experience joy, it's on a level that you've never experienced before. And that's what I keep on telling my audience, people that I work with, the joy that you're going to acquire after so much work is going to be worth all the work because you're just going to be vibrating on a different level. And then you're going to start wanting to improve and improve and improve because it's just, it never ends the joy. So I want to encourage people to, to not say, poor me, I have mental illness. Say, lucky me that I get to work, that I get to improve, that I get to understand myself and I get to work hard. You know how many people I'm listening, I'm talking to during Corona and they're saying, you know what, if I didn't have my mental illness toolkit, I wouldn't be able to survive now. And I really see so many people that went through struggles through mental health in their life they are surviving better than anyone else during, in this crisis because they understand that no day is perfect. And they understand that they can have a crisis any day, every, anywhere, and they know that they need to take their toolkit, whatever they decided it is, and find it. So I, I'm hoping that I can inspire more to, to look into their checklist. What's going to work for them? What kind of therapy? What kind of healing? What kind of exercise? What is going to work for them? And that, that is my next passion for this coming year from May to May, from May 2020 till May um, 2021, I want, my vision is to start literally my private practice that a few times a week, I could say I motivated somebody to either reach out to a support group, get a help, get a therapist, start therapy, uh, find a friend that can help them, find more podcasts that can help you. Just move a little bit, move. That's my dream. That is my dream. And, and that, and that, private practice after Corona. And before Corona is over, we're doing it over Zoom. I'm connecting with a lot of humans over Zoom and it's it really incredible how Zoom is really helping the world. Another huge gratitude to Zoom. It's, a, it's just, I want, in, in this vision of my private practice, I'm going to have a coffee station. It's going to be like <laughs> coffee and tea for people that don't like coffee, but it's going to be coffee with different mugs that have different inspirational sayings. And they're going to be a lot of inspirational sayings all over the world that will encourage people that when they leave that place, they know that they can change. And there's no, no reason why you have to stay where you are if you're in pain now. There's no reason. And anybody can change. Doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect tomorrow, but you can change. That's it. I have one final question for you to wrap it up. Uh, but first of all, I have to thank you now, um, not only just on a broad scale, you leaning into your fear. You have no idea the ripple effect this is going to have on so many people's lives. The willingness you had to do the thing that you were afraid of, be incredibly vulnerable, share things that aren't easy to share sharing your struggles, not just your triumphs, and really digging in deep and having these very difficult conversations. You are giving other people permission to step into their own healing and the ripple effect of that you're never going to fully know. So thank you for that. And then also on a personal level, you've been so good to me this past year. And I always tell you, I've never met anyone who's more grateful than you. And my own gratitude practice has just like gone through the roof since meeting you, you, which you know, has made me a happier human. Um, I think you're grateful on your own and you know that. It's, it's next level with Matana, trust me. So just thank you so much for, for being in all of our lives. This is just the beginning for your show. I'm so excited to see what you create over this next year. But for a final question to wrap up, I love this question and I'd love to hear your answer. If we were to go back in time to this young woman in Hong Kong who had no idea 
<laughs> where her life was going to take her. Mm. She hadn't seen her children. She hadn't met Ari. She hadn't struggled with some of these things. No idea she's going to be a podcast host one day. And she was really dealing with this identity issue and this darkness that would come over her sometimes and this weird sense of belonging and really trying to find her place in this world. If you were to go back and sit with her and tell her one thing that you know now that she did not understand back then, what would that be? What a hard question. Like I'm choking up because there's so much I want to tell that little girl. You are enough. I'm literally tearing up because I don't believe it all the time and I work on it a lot. But what, I, what, I, what my path showed me in life, and I need to remember after many years of feeling not enough, that I am enough. That I am enough. Where I am right now is where I need to be. And tomorrow will be another day. Don't sum yourself up by what other people look at you. So you are enough just the way you are. And I'm still telling that to myself every day. I know a lot of people say to me, oh, you, you're, you're so confident. You're so, you're, you're, you know where you're going. I work on myself very hard on that. It wasn't always like that, but I still have that little doubt voice in my mind. And I sometimes feel that I'm not enough and I'm not enough. And I need to really remind that little girl. I would go even before Hong Kong. I would go to that little girl that's like three years old and say, you are enough. Dave, thank you. Incredibly connected with you today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you everyone for being a part of this. Thank you for joining me. With, without everyone out there listening, each and every one of you that listened, this would not be a podcast. So thank you for the listeners because you are the, 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 I think they're like the, the beginning, like the, the thing that's pulling me, really. They're the, the energy that's pulling me forward. And thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving me nice feedback. Thank you for encouraging me and, and continue encouraging me because it can get very tiring. So, so send me your ideas, send me your insight, debate with me, challenge me, bring it on. And, and the more the merrier. So thank you. Really thank you, everyone. Bye till next time. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.